awesome. All right. Well, if you got your Bibles, I want you to open up to the book of 2 Corinthians. The book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 5 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I, uh, this past week, I had the um, opportunity to be on uh, campus at one of our uh, Southern Baptist seminaries for a couple of days. And um, I was there and just listening some, to some things that were going on and some different reports. And uh, some of it had to do with um, academic type stuff. Some of it had to do with um, just the, the building and grounds there and, and just what's going on there at the, at the, at the seminary. And so uh, we, were, we were getting one report. And they were telling us about some updates and things that they were having to do as far as the Internet is concerned on campus and making sure students have access to the Internet. And uh, some of you will be much more familiar with this than I am. I'm technologically challenged, and uh, so I, I, I do enough to get by. Uh, but uh, I learned something about the process and some terminology. And so uh, what they had realized, that there were um, certain places on campus that you couldn't get a, a wireless internet signal, Wi-Fi signal. And they have wireless internet, but there are some places where you couldn't pick it up on your phone or computer or your tablet. And so um, they said that they were um, in the process of, of uh, creating uh, what they called a heat map. Some of you will know, maybe know exactly what I'm talking about. I didn't know what that meant. And so this is what a heat map meant in this kind of setting. Um, they would actually go around, say, with their phone, and, um, and look at the wireless Internet signal on their phone and just basically walk in different places on campus and kind of create a map. And um, have you ever played the game uh, when you're a kid, you're trying to find something and you're either hot or cold, right? So if you're cold, you're getting further from it. But if you're getting closer to it, you're, you're, you're getting hot. Well, it, it kind of is like that, okay? See, so I have to put it down in simple terms so I can understand it. And so uh, that's why I thought, okay, it's kind of like that game. And so if you're somewhere where... Um, where it's a where it's a great wireless signal, it's it's hot, right? It's a it's a hot spot. And so if you're somewhere on campus where it's not a great signal, it's it's a cold spot. So they kind of create this map so they can look at this map and say, here are the places on campus where there's a strong internet signal and students can get on the internet there. Um, here are the places on campus where uh, it's a weak signal. It's cold. Uh, this is a weak area on campus when it comes to Getting on the internet, and as soon as as soon as they explained that, my mind left the technology side of things, um, and and I thought, wow, what 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 an incredible illustration of our lives as Christians, and I wonder if we were to do a, a heat map of our lives as individuals as Christians, where would those hot spots be, those places we're strong in our walk with the Lord, and where would be those cold spots, those places in our, in our walk with the Lord where we're weak, where there needs to be something to ramp up the signal there. What are those places in our lives as Christians, and, and, and even specifically as, as members of this church, what are those areas where we need to improve? And my mind immediately went to what we're going to talk about today. A healthy church member is a biblical evangelist. And I'll just go ahead and lay the cards out on the table and, and tell you my opinion of uh, and my assessment of just the church as a whole in, in, our, um, in our society, in our country. Um, and this isn't true in other parts of the world, and I'll share a little bit more about that later. But if we were going to do a, a heat map of the church in America today, you know, the members in America, church members in America, a weak spot 
cold spot, if you will, would be the area of evangelism. It would be the area of evangelism. Say, how do you know that? Are you just making that up just, just to start the sermon out with? No, I, I think I have some evidence for that. Um, I heard a statistic just two weeks ago, and I'll, I'll, I can't remember if this was just South Carolina. Um, I was, we were talking about South Carolina, so it could have just been South Carolina, but it could have been nationwide. But here was the statistic that there are an average of five baptisms, and they're using baptisms, um, we're talking about in Southern Baptist churches, as a reference for salvations, okay? The five baptisms per year per 100 people in worship. So for every 100 people that are gathered in a Sunday morning, there are only five people that are coming to Christ and being baptized throughout the year for every 100 people in worship service. That's not an exciting statistic. In fact, that broke my heart when I heard that. And that makes sense, though, when we look at the landscape of the church in America, because churches are dying every day, closing their doors. You say, well, why do we got to talk about something so sad? Because it's the reality. And until we're willing to talk about areas that we're weak in, we'll never make improvements in those areas. And just like that heat map on campus, if they would not take the time to figure out where those weak spots were on campus, you know what? Those places are going to stay weak. But because they're doing that, it at least gives them the opportunity to know where they need to improve and then have the conversation, all right, how do we strengthen this signal here? How do we strengthen it? And that's what I want us to think about today. I, I would put before you that we're weak when it comes to evangelism. But we can improve. And so what does it look like for us as believers to improve when it comes to evangelism? The fifth mark of a healthy church member is being a biblical evangelist. And so I've picked this text today. And this is a passage of scripture that I've preached on before. Okay, Uh, but I I love this passage. and, and, And I'm not sure if there's another passage that as clearly as this one does helps us understand our role as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to read verses 11 through 21, and then we're going to focus our attention on verses 14 through 20. But I want to read all of verse 11 through 21. If you follow along in your copy of God's word uh, as I read, this is the word of God. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word, your holy and perfect and true word. Father, impress it into our hearts and minds. Father, speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Father, help us to be obedient to what your word calls us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a biblical church, a healthy church member, we can say, is a biblical evangelist. But before we go any further, let's define what we mean by evangelism. You've probably heard that word before. Maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you're a little unsure. I'm not exactly sure what evangelism means. We hear that word in our culture, especially in the political uh, world, evangelical. Uh, what, what does that word mean? Well, the word literally means the gospel. It comes from the Greek word that we translate as gospel. It means good news. Uh, That's what the word means. And so evangelism is sharing the gospel with unbelievers out of love and obedience with the goal of seeing them repent and believe. Let me say that one more time. Evangelism is sharing the gospel with unbelievers out of love and obedience with the goal of seeing them repent and believe. And so with that being the definition of evangelism, let let me make this statement. A healthy church member actively shares the gospel with unbelievers out of love and obedience with the goal of seeing them repent and believe. All right, so I'm putting that definition of evangelism into the statement that a healthy church member is a biblical evangelist. What does that mean? It means as a, as a church member, I ought to be actively sharing the gospel with unbelievers out of love and obedience with the goal of seeing them repent and believe. I want you to notice verse 1, excuse me, verse 11 and I want, you to, I want you to notice one phrase there. It says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Notice what Paul is doing, and this sets the stage for the rest of this chapter. Knowing the fear of the Lord, then, we persuade others. Paul's goal is persuasion. He wants to share with them a message, not just so that he can say he shared it, but his goal is that they would believe that message. He wants to persuade them of what the gospel is and that they should believe. So then the question becomes, what is this gospel message? What is it? What is this message that we are to be teaching people and persuading them to believe? Now I want you to skip to the last verse of chapter 5, verse 21. Verse 11 says, we persuade others. What are we persuading them of? Verse 21 For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's read that one more time because this is the gospel message. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you see the bookends of this passage. We persuade others. What are we persuading them of? That Jesus came, that he took our place, he took our sin so that we could go from being sinners to being righteous in God's sight. Being righteous in God's sight. Excuse me for just a second. We're going to eliminate this distraction real quick. 
There we go. I don't have to look at that anymore. All right. I'm technologically um, challenged, but I know where a power button is. All right. Now, here's what we want to here's what we want to do in our in the remainder of our time. We want to look at verses 14 through 20, and we want to notice four areas of transformation that take place in our lives when we are saved that then lead us to live as biblical evangelists. Four four areas of transformation that take place in our lives. Here, here's what I don't want you to leave thinking, okay? And and this is how this is how I've often thought about evangelism, and it doesn't lead to evangelism. It's feeling guilty about not sharing the gospel with people and then just going, I got to do a better job. I got to try better. It's, I got to, I got to, I got to do it better. I got to do it better. I got to do it better. And maybe that's true. But what we often miss is the transformation that's taken place because of what God has done in our hearts that then leads us to share the gospel. It's not just about saying, I need to do this and going to do it. It's about realizing what God has done in our hearts and letting that be the motivating factor in our lives for going to share the gospel. Not just feeling guilty about it and thinking, well, God must not be happy with me. I need to go do this so he'll be happy with me. But when we realize what God has done in us, I think the natural response then, or maybe I should say supernatural response because it's a supernatural transformation, is that we'll just go and share the gospel. In other words, it won't be a burden to share It'll just be what overflows out of our hearts as we realize what God has done in us. Four areas of transformation that we want to look at. We should be actively sharing the gospel with others because we have, number one, a new control center. We have a new control center. We see this in verses 14 through 15. We should be actively sharing the gospel because, with others because we have a new control center. What do we mean by that? Look at verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, before Christ comes in and transforms our hearts, we're controlled by our hearts. We're controlled by, our, by, by, by what we believe about life. The problem is our hearts are dead in sin. And so in our old sinful self, our old control center is a heart controlled by sinful desires. In my sinfulness, who is number one in my life? Me. Me. I am number one in my life. When my heart is controlled by sin, when my heart is dead to the things of God, but it is, in another sense, alive to myself. Now, it's a, it's, a, it's a life that's really death, spiritual death, but I care about me and myself, and I'm looking out for my interests. I'm not concerned with God and serving Him. I'm not concerned with others and serving others. We're controlled by our selfish, sinful desires. If you're not a Christian today, if you never trusted in Christ, then that describes your heart right now. Uh, Paul says to the Ephesians that we were dead in our sin. Now, the good news is we don't have to stay that way, right? We don't have to stay dead in our sin. So, formerly, our old control center was a heart controlled by sinful desires, but because of Jesus, our new control center is a heart controlled by the love of Christ. You see that transformation of of what's controlling us. The way that you live your life, the words that come out of your mouth, the choices that that you make, the actions that you take, 
They don't just come from nowhere. They come from inside you. They, they come from your heart. And Scripture says that our hearts are deceitful above all else. And yet, the power of the gospel, and we've talked about this recently, the power of the gospel is such that it is a complete transformation of who we are. The gospel transforms our hearts. But what that means is not just that we have a ticket to heaven one day. It means that right now, in present day life, there's a new control center in my life. And that thing that is controlling me is the love of Christ. Now, let's ask a question about the love of Christ. What does the love of Christ look like? What, what did the love of Christ lead him to do? What led him to sacrifice himself so that others could be reconciled back in a right relationship with the Father. Right? That's what Jesus' love looks like. It's a love that led him to sacrifice himself for us, people who didn't deserve it, so that those people who didn't deserve it could then be saved, could be rescued from their sin. Now, it's not rocket science. If the love of Christ that we just described is controlling our lives, what is that going to look like? It's going to look like us sacrificing ourselves, our time, our energies, our monies, our, our abilities, our resources, so that other people, whether we think they deserve it or not, can hear a message about Jesus that if they believe then they, just like we, can be reconciled back to the Father, can have a right relationship with God, can be saved. That's what the love of Christ did in Christ's life for us. That's what the love of Christ ought to be doing in our lives for others. When the love of Christ controls us, we will sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others hearing the gospel of Jesus. We will go out of our way. It doesn't matter if it's uncomfortable. It doesn't matter if it wasn't on our agenda for the day. We go out of our way to make the gospel known to those who need to hear. We have a new control center. Secondly, we have a new view of people. We share the gospel with others because we have a new view of people. Notice verse 16 and 17. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A new view of people. Notice the beginning of verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. He's saying we have a new control center. Now, the love of Christ is controlling us. And what that looks like is that we see people differently. We have a new, a new vision of who people are. I, I, I don't know if, who, how many of you wear glasses and contacts and that kind of thing, have had eye surgeries and, and stuff where you can actually see more clearly, right? I, I can remember that time where I thought that I could see and I went to the doctor and they said, you can't see. And I said, really? And, um, and they said, you need to wear these contacts, which I have in right now. Otherwise, y'all would all be blurry. And, um, and so I, I remember walking outside. I've talked to others who had the same, uh, same, same circumstance happen, the same experience. And I walked outside, and, um, and this was years ago. And I, I told my mom, she, she had taken me that day. And I said, Mom, I said, the trees have leaves on them. 
was like, yeah, they do, son. They have leaves on them. It's like, and, and, and there's actually individual blades of grass. It's not just a solid green carpet or solid brown carpet, depending on what season of the year it is. Like, I could see details that I couldn't see before. I, I, in a sense, had a new set of eyes. I was looking at life. I was looking at the world differently. Well, that's part of the transformation that happens in our lives when God saves us. We begin to see people differently. Our old view of people simply saw them as physical bodies. We, saw, we, we, we see them simply as black or brown or white. We see them as, as rich or poor. We see them as speaking the same language as us or speaking a different language than us. We see them as living on this side of town or that side of town. We see all these physical attributes about people. But our new view of people sees people not simply as physical beings. It doesn't overlook that, but it looks beyond that and sees them as people with souls. Souls that are either on their way to hell because of their sin. Souls that are on their way to heaven because they've been set free from their sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, when God transforms our hearts, we begin to see people differently. Our categories of people change, and the importance of those categories change. I'm not as concerned with what a person looks like, or where a person lives, or what kind of language they speak, or how different or similar they are to me. What I should be most concerned about is where they stand in light of the gospel. Have they believed it? Or have they not? Are they spiritually alive or are they spiritually dead? Are they old or are they new, as verse 17 says? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. Listen, every person you meet is either old and dead in their sins or alive in Christ, having been set free by the cross. That's the two distinctions. That's the two categories that everyone in the world falls into. And we want to we segregate people in all kinds of different categories based on their skin color, based on their ethnicity, based on where they work or how much they make, based on their hobbies, based on their political uh, views or parties that they belong to. When the most important thing for us as believers is to figure out, is this person saved or are they not? And if they're not, I need to be sharing the gospel with them. It doesn't matter how alike they are to me or how different they are from me. This is a person made in the image of God who needs to be reconciled back to the Father. We see past the physical and we notice the spiritual. Is this person a new creation in Christ or are they not? Is this person headed to hell or are they headed to heaven? Uh few weeks ago I was in um, I was in McDonald's and I was went in there had to grab me some lunch and um, sitting there I was reading a book eating my eating my burger and um, kind of minding my own business and I was getting to the end of my meal and I'm uh, trying to finish that page that I was on in my book and I, I noticed I was kind of reading and eating I noticed somebody moving towards me and I looked up and uh, it was a man and he was a lot older than me he was a different color than me, and just from the looks of it, he probably was in a different socioeconomic class than me, um, a lower one. Didn't look like he had much, um, lots of differences there. 
And uh, I had a feeling in that moment he's coming to ask me for something. And there's a, there's a choice then in that moment. Um, does my sinful, old sinful nature heart creep in? And do I look on him and either judge him in different ways, put him in these categories that would create separation between me and him? Would I think simply about my schedule and think he's about to ask me to do something or ask me to give him something? I don't know if I want to give him something or I don't know if I want to do something for him. I've got things to do. I'm just being honest. This is, these are things that go through your mind all in a split second, right? And, and by God's grace, I thought, hey, this may be an opportunity that God's given me to share the gospel with someone. And so he approached me and he said, he said hey, man, he said, where are you headed? And um, I tried to be wise in it, too. I said, why do you want to know? <laughs> you know? And so I said, why, why do you want to know? And he, he told me, he said, I need, I need a ride. And I said, okay. I said, where are you trying to go? And um, he told me where he was headed. And I said, man, I'll say, I'm going to be honest. I'm going the opposite direction of that. And, I, and I, man, he, as soon as I said that, I stopped myself. And I said, you need to get over there? He said, yeah, I do. And um, I said, uh, I said I, I'll take you. I said, I need to run in the restroom. I said, you wait on me. I said, we'll, we'll go. Here's, here's the thing, though. Um, and we're going to talk, talk about this, and, and this will segue into number three. But my goal in that moment, simply, my motivation wasn't just to do a good deed for him. Though that would be a good thing to do. But by God's grace, and I say by God's grace, because I don't always do this, and I need to, I thought this man might be on his way to hell. And here's an opportunity for me to spend five minutes in the car with him, and I can share the gospel with him. And so that's what we did. We got and jumped in the car, and we headed to where he needed to go, and I spent that five or ten minutes sharing the gospel with him. And uh, he had some right under things about the gospel, and he had some things that wasn't quite right about the gospel. And so I didn't have long, but I at least helped try to clarify some of those things about the gospel in his life. I'll simply tell you that story, not to make much of me, because that's just one of, 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 of one instance, and there's many that I have passed over, and I'm, I'm convicted of that all the time. But by God's grace, he allowed me to see past all the differences and see past whatever inconveniences it may have been in my life at that moment. And I saw his soul. And it was either on the way to heaven or on the way to hell. And I needed to take ten minutes out of my schedule and share with him the good news of Jesus Christ. We see people with a new vision. Number three, we have a new mission. We have a new mission. Verses 18 through 19. And this is where we get to the heart. And I want you to know the heart of this passage. And I want you to notice this word that is repeated over and over and over. Four times here and then one time in verse 20. Verse 18 and 19. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled, that's the word, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You think reconciliation matters to God? Yes. It's why He sent His Son. We have a broken relationship with God and God has made a way for that broken relationship to be healed. That's the Gospel. And it's 
And it happens because Jesus took our place on the cross and he took our punishment and he experienced separation from the Father as he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That should be you and me saying, Why have you forsaken me? But instead it was Jesus, the Son of God, crying that out in our place, absorbing the wrath of God so that you and I could be put back into a right relationship with God, even though we don't deserve it. And we get to experience that beautiful relationship both now and after our lives on this earth are over for all of eternity. God is about reconciliation. But notice the thrust of this passage isn't simply that we have been reconciled, but that because we have been reconciled, God has entrusted to us, get that, entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. My first thought is, God, why would you do something like that? Why would you take something as beautiful as the gospel and entrust it with me? Why? Isn't there a better plan? God says, no, this is my plan. And he says, I know why you would say that, because you're admitting how weak you are and how on your own, how incapable you are of holding this treasure and protecting it and sharing with it with other people. But here's what God says. Here's what God says. I know that about you, but I have transformed you and I will be with you. And I will give you the ability to do what I've called you to do. God never calls us to do something that he doesn't equip us to do. I will be with you every step of the way. And then with you, when you, as a very weak messenger, share with others this magnificent message of the gospel. And when some, because not all will, but when some believe and receive salvation, you will not get the glory because you are weak. I will get the glory because I am the one who is doing it through you. You see, God does all things for his glory. And so even in him entrusting with us, to us, the message of the gospel, he is working in such a way that at the end of our lives, and we look back and we say, I've shared the gospel with these people and these people have been saved, but... I know I couldn't have done that by myself. Only God could do that. And God gets all the glory. Paul said it this way just a couple of chapters, uh, one chapter earlier, uh, towards the beginning of chapter 4. He said that we have this treasure in jars of clay. You know what the treasure is? It's the gospel. You know what the jars of clay are? You and me. Easily broken not much to look at, but inside we contain a treasure that is meant to be poured out into the lives of other people. This beautiful gospel message that God is holy, that humans are sinful, that Jesus came to rescue us, and that everyone who believes in Jesus, trusting in Him and Him alone for salvation, can be saved. Christian. You have that treasure in you. But it's not a treasure that you are to keep to yourself. We are ministers of reconciliation. A minister is simply someone who serves. 
it's dangerous when we use the word minister to refer to someone like me that's in my role. In fact, that the Bible never calls the role of pastor a minister as this, it's different than the role of someone else in the church. The Bible uses three words for the role that we call pastors. It's elder or overseer um, or pastor. You know who, is, who the Bible calls ministers? Every Christian. We're all to be serving others. We're all to be ministering to one another and to others. And how are we to minister to the lost around us? By sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Our role is simply to share the gospel and to call people to faith and repentance. Let me encourage you for a moment. Notice what God is not calling us to do. He's not calling us to save them. That's important for us to remember. Only God can do that. Only God can save someone. He's not calling you to transform someone's heart and life. You and I don't have the ability to do that. Here's what he has called us to do. Simply share the good news of the gospel with people and call them to repentance and faith. And we leave the results in his hands. There's all kind of responses to the gospel that people have. We never know what that response is going to be. We're just called to share the good news with others. About a year ago, I had a guy, I've told some of you this, I had a guy that um, I had got to know just through some family circumstances, and uh, he didn't know the gospel. And I had the privilege one day of sharing the gospel with him. Um, God had put it on my heart. And I, I, I knew he was over at our house, and I, I couldn't let him leave that day without him hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And, um, and so I, I, I found something that we would both enjoy. I said, hey, let's go shoot some guns behind the house. All right, that's what I said. Let's go shoot some guns. So uh, we got some guns. We went out behind the house and uh, walked down to the woods, and we had fun and just building a relationship with one another. And as we were walking back, we began to ask him about um, what he believes about God and, and Jesus, the Bible, and he he didn't know much, but he definitely um, was honest. He said, I don't believe this. You know, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe this stuff. And, um, and so for a while, for probably an hour or so, uh, we talked and I shared the gospel with him. Um, and, I, and I told him, I said, you need to repent of your sins and you need to trust in Jesus as the Lord and Savior. But I can't, I can't make you do that. I can't do that for you. Uh, but this is the gospel. And we, we just worked through the gospel, worked through the gospel. And he was grateful. Um, he listened. And he said, I, I'm not ready for that. A year passed. A year passed. And he sent me a long text message uh, Sunday about a month and a half ago, two months ago. And I got in my car after Sunday service. It was a year from the time I shared the gospel with him. And um, and, I, and I read it, and then I cried the whole way home because he um, he had repented of his sins and he had trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. And I tell you, there's there's nothing better in all of life 
of sharing the gospel to someone and, and seeing them come to faith in Christ. Not everybody we share the gospel with, that will happen. It, it won't. There's no greater joy in life than knowing that you got to play even just a small role in that. For a year, he had been thinking about that conversation. He had been going to church. He had been listening to the pastor. Others had shared the gospel with him. But he thanked me for that time a year ago. It would be easy just to forget about it. And say, well, I guess that didn't make any difference in in his life. But it did. I, I say that to say it's just our job to share the gospel. And then we leave the results in God's hands. Let me quickly give you this last one. I'll make it quick, I promise. We have a new mission. Our mission is not to serve ourselves, it's to serve Jesus by serving others and giving them the gospel. Verse 20. But it's deeper than that. It's a new identity. It's a new identity. And I'm going to be brief on this point, but it's important. Again, go back to what I said towards the beginning. It's not simply a message today of go and do. It's a message of remember who you are. And then live out who you already are in Christ. Our identity has been transformed by the gospel. Look at this last verse here, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Christian, you are an ambassador for Christ. You represent Him. Formerly, we represented just ourselves, doing what we wanted to do, making ourselves look good in the eyes of others. But now, our new identity is an ambassador for Christ. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who represents and works to accomplish the agenda of someone else. An ambassador is someone who works to represent And to accomplish the agenda of someone else. And as Christians, that someone else is Jesus Christ. He sends us out on mission to represent Him to a lost and dying world. Listen to me, Christian. It's not a matter of whether or not you will represent Jesus. You're always representing Him. The question is whether or not you are representing Him well. Or whether or not you're painting a wrong picture. Of who he is. You're a reflection of Jesus. What kind of reflection are you? When people are around you. When they hear you talk. Do they walk away going. Jesus did that for me. Jesus loves like that. Jesus cares like that. Or do they walk away going. That's what Jesus is like. I don't want any part of that. We're ambassadors for Christ. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. You know, we do a great job of representing things. We do. We do a great job of representing our favorite team. We do a great job of representing our favorite brand of something. We do a great job of representing our favorite hobby. There's nothing wrong with those things. But what if we would put the same time and energy into representing the Lord Jesus Christ that we put into representing those other temporary things that in the grand scheme of life don't really matter. We know how to represent. Sometimes I think we just don't love other people. 
enough to care about their eternal destiny. And that takes us right back to where we started. Is the love of Christ controlling you and me? All of us, not just some of us, have been given a new identity, a new mission, a new vision, and a new control center. All of us are going to be sharing the gospel with others. I want to wrap up with this story. Um, I have a friend who spent some time in India recently, and they were working with the International Mission Board. And what the group of missionaries was doing in that area were doing church assessments and Christian assessments, like going around and just trying to get a, get a feel for, for how many people in this area know the gospel. What's the church doing? What can they do better? And so this particular IMB worker, International Missionary Board worker, was talking with this uh, interviewing believers. And so he interviewed this, uh, this Indian man who had only been a believer for two to three months. He had only, he had only been a Christian for two to three months. And one of the questions in the assessment was this. How many times have you shared the gospel in the last month? And this man got real sad. This man in India, he got real sad. And he said, I'm extremely disappointed. Because in the past month, he wasn't being sarcastic. He was, he was ashamed. He said, because in the past month, I've only shared the gospel about a hundred times. And then he looked at this International Missionary Board worker and he said, would you pray for me? Would you pray that I would do a better job? There's so many people that need to hear the gospel. And I've only shared with just a few. Can you pray that I'll be more bold in my witness? I heard that story. It was like a, it was like a knife to my heart. A conviction. I've shared with you two stories today about times where I've been obedient to share the gospel. There have been a few more. Not a hundred. Not just in the past month, not in the past year. What are we doing, church? What are we doing? Here's the challenge that I I thought about giving you. And I I still kind of give it to you because... Maybe this is the first step in getting out of the hole that we're in when it comes to evangelism. But my challenge was going to be, think of one person that you could share the gospel with over the next month. One of the pastors in India told this missionary from America, he said, stop it. He said, stop doing what? He said, stop challenging our people here in India, these Christians in our churches, to share the gospel three times a week because you're lowering the standard. Let's not set the standard too low. Everyone needs the gospel. Let's bring it home for, a, for just a second. Stop talking about India. 
talk about Southside Baptist Church. We do assessments here. Every year we fill out assessments. An assessment that goes to South Carolina Baptist Convention and is used just to track what's going on in churches in our state. Here's a question from it this year. Again, baptisms being, uh, whether for good or bad, being a gauge of how many people are coming to know Christ. Here's a question. How many baptisms were a direct result of someone in your church other than a pastor personally sharing the gospel this past year? You know what I put down and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Now, just so you know, I'm not picking on you. If we were to change that question to how many baptisms because the pastor shared the gospel this past year, personally shared the gospel with someone, we would put down more. I'm ashamed for myself. Church, we're going to make a difference for the kingdom of God. We've got to tell people about Christ. Not all will believe. But some will. I guarantee it that some will. Jesus guarantees it. He said the fields are white for harvest. We read that earlier. We just need laborers. He doesn't pray. He doesn't say pray for the lost people. He said pray that people will go share the gospel with them. So let's be motivated by love for others, by love for our city. I hope next year when we have to fill out that report, we can put down 10 or 15 or 20 or 50 or 100. It will only happen if we open up our mouths and share the good news of Jesus with others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the attention of your people Father, I know that I fall far short of proclaiming your word as, as well it should, as it should be proclaimed, but I thank you for these people here. I thank you for their love for you. I thank you for their devotion to you. Father, it's a joy to get to stand before them and together us grow in your word. And Father, your word is very clear that we're to be sharing the gospel with people. And Lord, it's Father, it's easy for us not to take the time to assess whether or not we are doing that in a way that honors you and glorifies you. And Father, I know that there are people in this church that are sharing the gospel with people. And I praise you for that. Father, we give you the glory. But Father, I know for myself and for many others, there's much room for improvement. Father, help us, help us to be obedient to this call and this privilege of sharing with others how they can be reconciled back to God. Father, help us to go out this week and share the gospel with friends, with family, with strangers. Help to be ever-present on our lips. 
Father, then we pray that You would do what only You can do. That You would bring salvation into people's hearts and minds. And they would be transformed. And when You do that, Lord, we won't take the credit. We'll give You all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name.